Hello, podcaster. It's Charlie here bringing you another episode of The Business of Podcasting. And in today's episode, I am joined by Jamin Fraser of The Insecurity Project and The Insecurity Project Podcast. Now, this episode is a little bit different than the ones I have made prior in the other episodes of this podcast. Now, a lot of our episodes are focused on marketing your podcast or promoting your podcast or even converting some of your podcast audience into leads and sales for your business. But far too often, I think this very important element gets ignored and I have not found anyone talking about it in this way. So I want to share a little bit of a story here and recognize some things. So what tends to happen in podcasting, especially in new podcasters and sometimes even in veteran podcasters, is that they just want to be liked. And what they end up doing when podcast guests come on their show is they end up just really agreeing with them. They don't like causing discomfort. They really hate causing friction. And what they end up doing is just making other people look really good on their podcast without ever putting forward their own opinions because of the fear that's surrounded by that and their own insecurities. And this was me in my first podcast. I'm going to come clean here. In my first podcast, I would have guests on my show and I would just agree with them and second up their points and really not offer any value to the conversation, even if I disagreed with them. So I might have a guest on and they would say, oh, you know, the best color's red. And I'd be like, yeah, the best color's red. And then I'd have a different color, uh, sorry, a different guest on and he'd be like, the best color is blue. And I'm like, absolutely, blue is the best. So what I ended up doing in an attempt to please everyone else, um, I really didn't do anything valuable for my audience and even conflicted with my own show's content. And I wasn't offering a lot of value at all and it was a huge disappointment. But once I started to become aware of this, I realized that insecurity and wanting to be liked was driving a lot of this and that I needed to work on myself a little bit so that I could be a better host and someone who could actually drive meaningful conversations within my own podcast. Now, this podcast episode with Jamin, he tackles a lot of this as well as he has his own podcast, which is another reason why I really enjoyed having him on the show. In the episode itself, we're going to talk about insecurity and a lot of the insecurities that podcast hosts do go with uh, in having their own show. And then we're also going to talk about dealing with some of the haters and things that come with social media and putting yourself out there. Overall, I think this is an invaluable episode for podcast hosts and something we all have to cross when making content and putting things out there. Now, before I forget, make sure you head over to valamedia.com and check out our free resources page. Every week, we do send out an email with tips and things to help people with their podcast, as well as we have some fantastic free resources on the website itself. So if you want to get a copy of our intro framework, if you want to see our 11 pillars of a highly profitable podcast and start applying them to your own show, then I recommend you head over to valamedia.com slash resources and you can pick up all that stuff from there. And of course, if you do have a question or you would like me to address a topic on the podcast, then please contact me via the website as well. Now let's head into the episode. I'm really looking forward to bringing this to you. It is a touchy subject and something that may twist the knife for you, but nonetheless, let's head over into the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Jamin. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me, Charlie. 
Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Um, we've been connected for quite a while and uh, I really, really enjoyed your book, um, which uh, had an impact on me. And I thought it's a very, very relevant topic and discussion for podcasters, as well as you being a podcaster yourself. So um, it's oh, a touch excited and I think it will be a really, really special one. But before we get into it, what I'd love you to do is first, just tell people a little bit about what you do and what you cover in your business. Sure. So uh, I run the Insecurity Project. So my mission in life is to end unnecessary suffering caused by the fear of not being good enough. So I'm particularly excited about working with entrepreneurs because uh, I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of confidence in the government solving the big problems in the world today. I, I think they're going to be entrepreneurs, they're going to be business people, they're going to be clever, creative, intelligent people, purpose-driven who are trying to do good in the world. Uh, and so I, I see those people show up uh, with the handbrake on a, a lot of the time and not even aware that there's a, a mountain of insecurity limiting them. So I, I love the idea of being able to help those people show up at their best where it matters most by solving the insecurity problem. Well, I, I couldn't agree more straight off the bat with the idea that the government probably isn't going to solve this one. Um, nor will it ever be taught in schools. So it's very, very unfortunate that uh, for many people, dealing with insecurity is something that kind of just they try and do all on their own without any guidance, which can be hard. Now, why I feel, and I even mentioned this before, is that this is such a relevant topic for podcasters particularly, is in my own experience and including me in this, how many of us act very, how can I put this, presenting perfection, and also actually being a little bit of a different person on our podcast than we are in real life because we might be concerned of what others think of us. So when it comes to podcasters, and I'm sure you're in this market, how do you see uh, a lot of people that are making content and putting things out there and how they're dealing with this? Yeah, sure. Well, I think we're very sensitive to any kind of neediness or any kind of falsehood. I think especially as Australians, and obviously you're not just having Australian listener base, but I think Aussies are particularly sensitive to bullshit. Uh, and so if you're showing up fake, um, it, it does undermine the quality of the words that you're saying and, and people see it, people feel it more than anything. Even if they're just listening, they still feel it. They still feel something that's incongruent. So, yeah, I think it, it ultimately undermines the quality of the message that you're bringing if you don't embody your message by showing up needy or, or insecure about your ability to deliver that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I'm going to use myself as the case study here. I won't speak on podcasters' uh, behalf, but I just remember how hard it was in the beginning to be real. Like, I really had a lot of difficulty with making a podcast episode where I almost wasn't playing a role. Is that something you commonly see with people when it comes to making content? Yeah, I think so. I think because most people have an external strategy for validation and acceptance, they're constantly obsessed with what others think and so therefore have to live based on the picture in their mind of what others will like, what they'll enjoy, what they'll accept. So that's an obsession that then means they're not showing up as themselves uh, and it doesn't actually serve them very well either because, you know, as I said before, it really undermines the quality of what they do. But a very common challenge for, for anyone who's got a voice, anyone who's trying to bring content to the market. And I feel like social media just amplifies this even th further. It, it does because we just, it's all real time. 
uh, instant feedback. We crave instant feedback. We want to be seen, known, noticed, validated right now. Uh, and and we're aware that there are rules of the game. There are, there are things that statistically people like, and so we try and fit those boxes and play those roles. But all the while, it's just a game that ends up being empty and uh, doesn't get us where we're trying to go. Now, you gave me a hint before that, you know, you said rocking up and being insecure in your own podcast particularly is like showing up in life with the handbrake on. Mm. I'd love if you could elaborate more on that and I suppose give us some uh, insight to that comment. Yeah, well, one of the key metaphors that I help people see in terms of personal change, uh, you know, because entrepreneurs especially, they're, they're always trying to improve something. Um, but typically people try to improve by discipline, by force, by fighting against themselves, by more effort, more focus, more energy, um, as though the change they sought was, was like at the top of a snow-capped mountain and they had to fight their way to the top. Interestingly, that's, that's not how real change happens. Um, you're already sitting on top of the mountain and, and that mountain actually represents the fact that you, you've got the value inside you. There's nothing lacking. There's nothing missing. The goal is at the bottom of the hill. Uh, all that's between you and where you want to be is this internal handbrake, this this limitation, this resistance. Uh, and so you can, it is possible to drive a car with the handbrake on. I'm sure we've all done it. It's not very efficient. It's uh, no, not good. Never. Uh, it doesn't sound, <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so it is possible to force your way, but our unconscious is so strong and much stronger than the conscious. If you don't reconcile the internal resistance, Eventually, you're going to grind to a halt. You're not going to win that battle. So I see people all the time fighting against themselves to try to get the best results. And it just seems crazy because, you know, imagine your team, if you try to fight against them to get the best out of them, it, you know, we kind of get that doesn't make sense in treating other people. Uh, so I'm not sure why people think that's the strategy to get themselves, get the best out of themselves you know, so dealing with this handbrake, uh, uncovering what is that resistance and what would need to be satisfied so you could remove the resistance and work with yourself rather than against yourself. That's a very different conversation, but such an exciting one. Okay, so I want to dive a little bit deeper here because I'm I'm really curious uh, around this topic a little bit more. So for example here, let's say I'm going to use podcasting as the example, mm. and I think it's a really interesting topic to have here is the idea that if I'm showing up with the whole idea of just, you know, caring about what other people think, it's preventing me from actually making my my best content or creating things that would be far better off and serve myself and others far better. And that's kind of the handbrake effect that I'm applying here or potentially applying. Yeah, that's a good analogy. I mean, I think the point is as entrepreneurs, we each have a unique contribution to make. Uh, and so if you're worried about what others are thinking and wanting, you're never likely to bring your unique contribution. You'll be manufacturing something that you think is going to fit. Uh, so therefore, yeah, it's just like bringing the handbrake, uh, driving the car with a handbrake on. You're entirely incapable of driving efficiently and effectively with that brake on. So there's some inner conversations to be had to face that handbrake and see what would need to happen for it to be released so you could show up authentic and then bring the best of you where it matters most. So the next question I want to ask here is that 
how big a role do you think awareness and denial plays here? Like using the handbrake analogy, how many people are just not aware that the handbrake exists at all? So in their car, there is no handbrake in their mind. Yeah, sure. Or the other side of it, aware of the handbrake, but denying that it's maybe pulled Mm up. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, there are seven essential practices in overcoming insecurity. You've, you've seen a bit of my model, but but practice one actually is to step into the light. Um, so Yoda says, named must your fear be before banish it, you can. So I see people all the time um, not aware that, that insecurity is the thing underneath it, that the handbrake is even on. So if you don't even know what's going on, well, how can you possibly solve it? Jordan Peterson, he's another uh, hero of mine and rule number 10 in his 12 rules for life says be precise in your speech. So typically people are very abstract about what they want and what is wrong. So they'll say things like, uh, you know, I'm just, yeah, I don't know, I'm just not feeling it. Um, I don't know, I just couldn't find my mojo. You know, I'm just, I don't know, I, I'm just not in the zone. Real, real abstractions like that, which is very vague. So Peterson says, listen, if you're if you're not concise in your speech and very clear about what exactly is going on, well, the, the things that go unsaid become monsters and they consume you. So I see that happen typically. You know, people are insecure about being insecure. So it's a very vulnerable subject to, to kind of wade into. People just kind of keep jamming their life so full of possessions, performance, achievements, validation externally so they never have to address it. All the while it grows and becomes more of a resistance. So you're right. You can't change it if you can't see it. Uh, so the act, the act of being willing to see what's actually happening and even to go as far as naming it is an essential part of solving the problem so that you can then show up at your best where it matters most. So I'd, I'd love to get your opinion on the idea of you know seeking that validation because I think this is where it's interesting, uh, and this is for myself here, is that sometimes, you know, earlier on in my career, seeking that validation and, you know, whether it's awards, performance in business, uh, winning bike races, it actually acted as a huge or perceivably huge advantage for me, like to sure. achieving things. So I don't think it's always, and I should frame, I've got to make, be careful how I ask this because I don't want it to come out the wrong way. Mm. But the idea being, can insecurity and seeking validation actually help someone at some point in, you know, maybe moving them through a difficult yeah, time right. or helping them achieve something in their life? You're good at this, Charlie. That, that's another outstanding question. Um, it's so true. And I love, I love the fact that coaching is a judgment-free space. So, so it starts by saying, hey, let's not label anything good or bad, right or wrong. Let's just see if it's working for you or not. And if it's not working for you, then, then let's piss it off and replace it. Okay, so... You're right. There are times in life where people do incredible things motivated by the need to prove something to someone. They go above and beyond because someone said they couldn't or they shouldn't or they wouldn't. Uh, so, you know, that's fantastic and they do do amazing things. But, but then what? Because having achieved that and received that award or proved that person wrong, then what? You know, often that person feels just as empty as before they started. So it doesn't provide any lasting you know, validation internally, and then they just have to drive to the next thing. So eventually that strategy causes a lot of grief. But you're right, there are seasons where um, being driven because of insecurity is wonderfully resourceful and useful. 
It's, it's funny you mention this, and, ma- and maybe this is just my own therapy session at the end of the day, um, because I, I'm willing to admit it that, you know, at one point before I'd done some deep work, I didn't, you know, my awareness of the handbrake or how much I was seeking validation and pouring that into my own life was a huge driver, a huge invisible driver. Sure. But coming to your point here, I'll, I'll never forget the um, day, and there's one day when I realized it's like, right, something's up, I'm a bit empty here. I had put so much attachment around the idea of having a seven-figure business. Right. It was like, you know, started in business and I'm like, well, you're successful when you have a million-dollar company. Mm. I think a lot of people set those goals uh, very early on in their business or their podcast or whatever it is. And then the day came when it happened. Mm. And I don't think I've ever been so upset. (laughs) And I laugh about it now, but on the day I was actually devastated and the reason was is because actually nothing was different in my life, <laughs> yeah, wow. like nothing at all. And um, that was one of the triggers for me to go and do some deeper work on insecurities and, you know, what's really driving me here and where does this validation come from? Uh, yeah, amazing. I mean, I think the patterning around seeking external validation, it is the child's strategy to meet the need for significance. So we all have that inside of us. That's where we start. The problem happens when adults continue to run child strategies and, and inevitably then you're, you're trying to fill a bucket that leaks. So, yeah, the moment you get external validation, it lasts for such a short amount of time and then the bucket's empty again and you've got to go get more. Whereas updating the strategy, strategy to the adult strategy, which is this internal capacity to own your own value and worth, you get to keep that. Uh, and it doesn't leak, you don't lose it. So it's a totally different strategy. Yeah, I like that a lot. Now, I want to bring this back to podcasting now because I know this is a a huge part of our audience from here. So I know you've actually developed, and I'm going to read this, seven essential practices for overcoming insecurity. Mm. And I was hopeful that we could go through those seven things because I think insecurity is rife within the podcasting industry. And I think so many people, um, like I've, I've been on podcasts and I mentioned to this you before, is like as soon as they hit the record button, they're a different person. So mm. they're clearly showing up in perfectionism and not being themselves and it's a real limiter. So I'd love it if you could take yeah, us through sure. those seven things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just a caveat on them, they're not my invention. My work, my life's work has been to observe the fact that success leaves clues. There have been people throughout time who've solved this problem and and invariably they've walked the same path whether they knew it or not. So my, my work has been to deconstruct that and to create an explicit model around that so that firstly I could use it and then then others could use it as well. So firstly, to step into the light, yeah, to, to name your problem, to realise that your battle is not with your motivation, it's not with your health, it's not with your finances, it's not with your listeners, it's not with the quality of your audio. Like it's it's with your own opinion of yourself. That's that's where the battle lies. That's where the handbrake is. And the moment you can actually be vulnerable enough to own that, well, that's the start of solving this. The second practice is is around being 100% responsible, which is no surprise because all, all change comes from responsibility. Um, blame and excuse makes so much sense and is easy and is natural and is fun. And, and and I tell people all the time, please, like, don't let me stop you blaming the world for the wrong things that have happened to you because you, you're fully entitled to, to blame everyone and everything who's ever wronged you. And no one could say that's a bad choice. There's only one downside to blame, and that is it leaves you with no power. So, But, Jamin, iTunes changed the algorithm. It's not my <laughs> fault. 
<laughs> I know. Bloody iTunes. Oh, Facebook. Oh, Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, so it just leaves you with no power. It leaves you disempowered to make any impact, whereas responsibility means you, you can change it. So when this relates to insecurity, it's game-changing because, you know, practice one, name your problem. People go, right, there's some insecurity. I've got to deal with this. So how do I deal with it? Where did this come from? And people go back in their past and they review painful moments of loss and lack and hurt and abuse and they go, well, that's why I have a low opinion of myself because of all the bad things that have been said and done to me. So how could I possibly change that? It is what it is. You know, you can't change the past, you know, these kind of statements. But the game-changing idea is that as humans, we're sense-making creatures, we're storytellers. So it turns out that life's not about what happens to us. It's about the meaning we place in the things that happen to us. So interestingly, there are two questions that we ask and answer unconsciously or consciously for every single experience the moment we have conscious awareness as part of our storytelling. And those questions are, why did that just happen and what does it mean about me? So as a child with limited awareness, limited maturity, limited emotional intelligence, when we get hurt, when we're in moments of pain, we answer those questions negatively. So we are the we're the one it turns out we're not just the actor in the story, we're the storyteller. You know, we're the one with the pen and paper writing this script. We're the one who decided we were no good. We were the one who decided we weren't valuable. We were the one who decided we weren't worthy of love. That was all us. So we're not the victim in the story. Uh, we're the bully. So that's a game changer because it kind of says, uh, right, this problem wasn't created outside of me, therefore it's not going to be fixed outside of me. Mm. And I'm just, I'm almost, I've like nearly jumped a couple of times and overspoken <laughs> because I'm like, oh my God. Um, but <laughs> I kind of look to this one here and I find this really fascinating and I'd be curious to dive a touch deeper because again, this was me. Do you find people are incredible, how can I put this, liars when it comes to their previous experiences? Like it may be a situation wasn't that at all, but they perceived it in a certain way. So they might've put a massive negativity on something that another person would not. Sure. Well, yeah, what if we say, what if what if we rule out the judgment and just say they're all bullshit stories, even the good ones? Like we we actually just about to say that. And does that apply to the other part for the it good does, stuff? It does, because the quality of our life is just determined by the quality of the stories we tell. But all we have is stories. So who knows what's true or false? We don't have access to that level of objectivity. We see the world not as it is, but as we are. So yeah, that's that's liberating as well because, you know, to go back and try and find the true story, well, that, that you don't. That's not important. Um, if if you've told a story that's diminished you, what if you what if you told a story that empowered you? You know, you'd find evidence for, for either story being true. So you may as well pick a story that's going to serve you. So yeah, that responsibility piece is game changing because, you know, so often we look to others, we want others to to make us feel good about ourselves. And we think that's going to make a difference, but it turns out it doesn't make a difference. It's until we we take that responsibility and give it to ourselves. That's when things start to change. Practice three, if I should go on. Absolutely. Is to stack the pain. So no one has ever solved this problem because they weren't in pain. You know, so so like your story about reaching a million dollars and the pain that ensued. That pain was a massive motivator for action. That's that's pain's intention. It's a gift. Um, you know, feeling shit about yourself is supposed to feel shit. That's the point. 
just like you put your hand on the fire, it's supposed to hurt. That's pain loving you, saying, hey, listen, probably take your hand off the fire before you ruin it. So, you know, humans have this massive capacity to suppress, avoid, mask, medicate pain. Anyone who smokes is a great example of that, especially in today's age. We know it's terrible, but the capacity to just avoid that and not focus on the pain, not count the cost, it's it's possible. So insecurity is limiting everyone, but it's possible to pretend it's not or to ignore that. But the people who've changed it have actually stopped, turned all the lights on and really done an accurate cost assessment and gone, yeah, this is actually not good. This is this is killing me and and this is only compounding into my future. And, and build that pain so much until you create this threshold moment where the pain of change actually becomes less than the pain of staying the same. Whereas for most people, it's the other way around. Pain is working against them. Pain is keeping them in their comfort zone. So that's practice three. But practice four kind of goes hand in hand with that because if you just have a pain avoidance strategy, then typically you'll run out of motivation as soon as you get far enough away from pain. That's how people uh, do weight loss a lot of the time. It's it's motivated by massive massive pain causes massive action. Massive action creates massive results. Massive results dials down massive pain. Massive pain dialed down, motivation gone. So, yes, you've got to have pain, but you've also got to have desire. So practice four is a compelling vision for your life. You've got to have a quest. You've got to have a drive. There's got to be something that you desire, something that, you dream about some mission something that gives meaning to your life that keeps you up at night if you don't have something compelling like that when this gets hard what's the point what's the point of being at your best if you don't need to like you just give up you know this these seven practices kind of mirror that mirror the hero's journey in many ways are you familiar with hero's, hero's journey metaphor Absolutely, and have used it many times yeah, in podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, great. Well, the hero's got to have a quest, right? There's got to be some mission. Otherwise, what's the point of facing imminent death and danger if you don't have a reason? So the same is true for each of us, but um, most people have shut that puppy down as well, again, because of insecurity. Because it's it's what do you want? Like coaching 101 says, what do you want? But that's actually the most dangerous question in the whole world because you start to dream and then speak it out to people you just set yourself up for potential failure, disappointment, rejection, conflict. You know, so most people kind of dial down their sense of desire and dream so they don't get hurt or found out as inadequate. But it's always there. It's always under the surface. It's an essential, essential part of being a human being. So a big part of the coaching process is to draw that out in people again and help them focus on that. Um, it's a really interesting point there, and sorry, sorry to kind of nudge in, but I think you've just nailed some things that are particularly useful in the podcasting space. Mm. So if someone's got a show, maybe they've set out and they say, right, I'm going to create this massive podcast. There's an excitement there. They've, they've set it out, and then it gets a little bit different or difficult, or they get some bad feedback or whatever it is, and that pain, if they're not set out on what they want and I suppose have that journey in place, causes them a lot to retreat or maybe lower the goal entirely it happens all the time yeah people they're honest they they think my goodness i've got some value to add here i I think i think the world needs my message i reckon i could back myself enough to share it and then yeah some some things get hard they get poor feedback someone chips them on the quality of their audio or someone says ah yeah everyone's saying that or whatever and then yeah if they lose sight of this compelling vision it's game over let's shut this puppy down and, and dial down the expectation so 
But the moment that happens, then it, it is game over. So that's an, a, a very essential part of solving this problem. Practice five is to get help from someone who doesn't care about you. So I, I push that as hard as I possibly can. Whenever I get the, the privilege of coaching entrepreneurs and people who are trying to speak a message, uh, my very first job is to convince them that I don't give a shit about them. You know, I tell them, look, I know I look like someone who cares and I sound like someone who cares, but you just can't confuse me for someone who gives a shit. Like, you, you can't. I won't lose any sleep over you. I'll forget about you when we're done. I won't check your homework. I'm not the one with the problem. My life's really good, actually. And so before they run away, the, the key distinction is, hey, look, I'm not another person who wants you to do something you don't want to do. It's not my life. Uh, it's not my agenda. I have no vested interest. But you tell me what you want and I'll give you everything I've got to serve you to get that. But you've got to want it because me wanting it for you is is ridiculous. It's redundant. In fact, it's it's worse than that. It's, it becomes part of the problem. So I think typically when people start reaching out for help in this area, they they go to people who care about them and care for them, which is lovely, but those people are not the ones who are going to help you solve this. They will get in the way. They'll try and pump your tires up. They'll boost your numbers. You know, they'll be downloading your podcast 10 times a day just to make you feel like, you, you, come on, you're doing a good thing, you know, because they don't want you to be unhappy. They want you to be helpful and they'll give you advice about what they think you should do, which is all well-intentioned, but it limits you. It keeps you small and keeps you looking outside yourself to fix this. That is an essential part. That is a bold statement with a very interesting distinction that I think is probably a little bit uncommon in the coaching industry or the help industry in general these days. Mm. Yeah, it is uncommon. And I think that the greatest challenge for people like me in the, in the personal development help space is to not confuse the world about who the hero is in this story. I see it all the time. I see people go into personal development, psychology, counselling, coaching, so they can be the hero. They kind of have this rescuer complex. They need victims and they need people who depend on them. They like to have all the answers, which is kind of pretty selfish and very cruel because it just weakens the hero. You know, in the hero's journey, there's always a wisdom character, right? You're going to need help. You're going to need a Gandalf. You're going to need a Yoda. You're going to need a Dumbledore. But eventually those guys are not going to be there. At some point, you're going to realise no one's coming to save you. So if you create dependence on them in the moment of trouble, you will be weak. So that would be a terrible thing for a wisdom character to do to you, to set you up to fail by creating dependency. So, yeah, I, it, is, it is a bold thing, but I'm, I'm non-negotiable about it. In fact, the moment I lose that space for someone, I, I lose all leverage to have the meaningful conversations and the transformational ones. Very insightful. Thank you for sharing that one, Jamin. Well, that, that's okay. And, and interestingly, it required me to actually solve my insecurity first to be able to do that because if I'm needy for affirmation by having the answers, well, then I'm going to get in the way. So, yeah, so, so practice seven is to be the hero, right? So eventually um, the help is going to have served its purpose and you're on your own. You've got to go fight the dragon. You've got to go face this thing. Are you good enough or not? Do you have what it takes or not? Are you worthy of love or not? Like that's the question people run their whole life away from, but this journey takes you headlong into that until you're facing that fear 
in the eyes and you either come out the other side or you die. Like that's kind of how it goes. That's the hero's journey every every day of the week. The amazing thing about that is everybody else can see that it's not actually a dragon in the cave in the in the bottom of the garden taunting you. It's actually just a couple of mice playing silly buggers with a candle and some tin cans projecting this shadow on the wall. You know, of course you've always been enough. Of course you've got value. This monster only exists in your head, but no one can tell you that. You've actually got to go find that out for yourself. And the hero is going to have to do some work around going all the way back to the start and deconstructing this story back to the beginning. If you don't deconstruct it back to the beginning, you're just putting Band-Aids on. Because practice seven, the final practice is to rewrite the story, right? You're, the, you're not the actor, you're the storyteller. And often I find people just want to rush to seven. Yeah, yeah, I get it. See how it works. But surely we don't have to go back. Surely we can just write beautiful affirmations on the mirror and you know, high-five ourselves each day as we start and greet the sun and whatever, and that's all going to be fine. Uh, so, like, yeah, I, I get that. But the point is if you haven't deconstructed the old narrative, the moment you get tired, the moment you get stressed, the moment you receive some negative feedback, that's the story that's going to come out. That's what's going to take over. So until you deconstruct that so it no longer makes sense, you don't have a clean slate to write the new story anyway. So the process has to go through those whole seven rather than just jumping to the end. Do you find, and thank you for sharing that process, that was very insightful even just for myself, although I'm sure many podcasters will get a lot out of that as well. Do you find that people often have to deconstruct many stories or is it a core thing that they need to come out or get over or get past? And then once they pass that, it's kind of a domino falling into everything else. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm convinced that is a domino. I'm convinced that we have this confirmation bias that stacks stories on top of stories. And so it looks like just this sea of evidence and sea of all kinds of different stories. But if you can turn the light on and be objective about it, it does have an origin, and without that origin, none of the other stories make any sense. So in the transformation process, I'm, I'm non-negotiable about doing the work, doing the hero's work to go all the way back to the start and pull this out by the roots. Uh, so, yeah, when you do that, then it, the other stuff just kind of like, oh, yeah, that, I don't even really have to face that anymore because it doesn't exist. Yeah, I really like that as well. So, um, I mean – what I was more hedging towards or, or looking to at from there is like a lot of us have experienced many things that we may perceive or good, as good or bad or negative as positive and to go back and rewrite mm. endless amounts of stories could leave someone feeling overwhelmed or maybe this isn't something to tackle sure. or it's too big a beast but um, you know to go in and tackle a domino and see others fall could be hugely impactful. Well, it is. Like I use the example that you know, if you have a, a positive, empowering belief, it distorts future evidence just as much as a negative, disempowering belief. Like if I'm convinced that you like me and I've decided that that's true and you don't like me right, and you come and say something really cruel about me or you write something, you leave a terrible review for me or you do something and your intention is to be mean to me, your intention is to undermine me, but I believe you like me. Why wouldn't you like me? Of course you like me. Yeah. I mean- then I'll just filter your behavior through my belief and I'll go, huh, I wonder what's happening with Charlie. Um, maybe you should reach out to him. He might need a hug. Maybe he's having a bad day. Clearly he doesn't mean it. Like why would he mean it? It doesn't even make sense. Like I know he likes me. Maybe he's jealous. Maybe someone's told him some stuff that's not true. But it just kind of it doesn't get anywhere near me. Uh, just maybe I feel sorry for you. Maybe I, whatever, but it doesn't get inside me because I believe that you like me. Why wouldn't you? So you start to develop 
beautiful, empowering stories and then they can't help filter all the negative stuff in your world anyway. So then you're not stacking more negative stories anyway because you've got this empowering one as the, as the core prevailing narrative in your life. I like that a lot. Now, I want to ask a different question here, something, again, really really specific to our audience because I know this is something that is uh, rife, is how would you suggest or approach the idea of dealing with haters and bad reviews and bad comments across social and podcasting? So it's inevitable. Mm. You put yourself out there. Uh, it's, it is entirely inevitable. Yeah, I think to, to reconcile those things is important. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of facing stuff uh, rather than avoiding it or suppressing it. So there's a, there's a real, some have, have an approach just to go, I'm just not going to look at anything. I don't even want to see it. I'm just going to do my thing and then switch off. So whatever anyone's saying, you know, I think, yeah, but you're just you're scared of what you're going to see. So I think to have to have a story that makes sense of negative feedback, if if you go into the world with nothing to prove and nothing to, to defend as well, which I think is is really the aim of the game and comes out of beautiful sense of security, I, I think you're well placed to receive uh, critique. You're well placed to improve the quality of what you do. You know, we all have blind spots. I was at a presentation uh, yesterday and a guy had a beautiful business model around running events and was doing some amazing work but didn't know how to deliver a PowerPoint presentation, was using a PDF and scrolling through a PDF and reading off the screen and so totally affecting the ability of of him to communicate meaningfully the good work he's doing. So to not be able to receive feedback if someone said, oh, yeah, can't can't even do a PowerPoint, to go, Actually, yeah, I can't. Look at that. That's that's amazing. Yeah, if I could learn that, that would just add. I'm going to go learn how to do PowerPoints. That couldn't be that hard. So the other thing I would say is I love Don Miguel Ruiz, the four agreements, uh, and he says agreement number two is don't take anything personally. And we all kind of know that's important, but the killer point is it's not about you anyway. So that's why you don't have to take it personally because it's not about you. The people who are swinging away you know, maybe they just feel insecure. Maybe you're intimidating them. Maybe they're trying to beat a name for themselves and the way they're doing that is by bringing you down. It's got nothing to do with who you are or what you're doing. The people who are praising you, that's probably got nothing to do with you either. They want to be associated by you. They're trying to get something from you. Like, you know, so you've got to know within yourself if you're doing the right thing or not. You've got to have the ability to evaluate, surround yourself with people who are going to give you some good quality, honest feedback so you can improve. Yeah, and then I think that that kind of negates um, the power of the, the negative review on socials. Interesting. And I was uh, one of the things I see elsewhere, and I, I really like that approach, by the way, Jamin. Uh, I feel that there can be one hundred good reviews, and that one bad one, we can watch railroad someone completely. <laughs> yeah. Sure. And it's quite interesting that you made the comment that, you know, well, actually, you should probably be cautious of the 100 good reviews as well because they're yeah, probably um, just as dangerous. <laughs> just as dangerous. So I, I want to go to the other side of this, though, and think about it from the idea. One of the things I think is is really common and I see quite compellingly is uh, the idea of treating comments as feedback or getting feedback and then making way too many changes and then letting that external source, like, go rife I see is quite common in podcasting. So maybe someone makes a suggestion, oh, you should put your show on YouTube. Oh, maybe you should do two episodes a week. Oh, maybe you should do a topic on this. And like they're constantly taking in 
these external things to the point where there's just way too much going on. Mm, sure. and we go to trying to please everyone. How can someone think about staying true yeah, to their sure. own course? Um, I, okay, the way I'd think about that is that I, I really describe the personal development journey as the, the process of fully becoming an adult. So that is the ability to trust your own judgment, to, to trust your own opinions, to make your own decisions, to reference your, your own opinion about what's right and wrong. Um, the child approach is to constantly be unsure of themselves and to need wisdom from people who are more knowledgeable. The adult is not cut off from outside but but is able to fill their own cup. So I think that's that's this process of solving insecurity is to be able to be confident that you don't have to know everything. You're not perfect but you're going to make a decision and you're going to, you're going to, be, you're going to back that. You're going to be clear about what you'd like and what you'd not like. And, and I think that presents a very strong presence in the market as well. When someone's clear about what they want, what they don't want, they're an attractive voice to listen to as opposed to the person who's scattered, constantly changing, doesn't really know what they want, wants others to like them. They're not an attractive voice, so it's unlikely people will continue to listen to them anyway. It's interesting. I think you nailed a couple of things there that I've seen, right? And I, I kind of wonder if this is something you would uh, agree with, is there's probably two things that come to mind. There's people that are constantly changing things because they're so insecure or they're just copying someone to the point where they're just like, all right, this isn't me. This is I'm actually, this is someone else's idea that I'm executing. So you, you can yeah. judge this yeah. or you want, not me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some great strategies to, to hide uh, from being found out because if you do get found out you're like well yeah it wasn't me anyway so i'm fine um it's it's interesting the lengths we go to to protect ourselves from the thing we're, we're most afraid of it's i geek out on the on the cool strategies people run uh it's always very interesting well podcasting particularly i don't i won't name names but i certainly see some copycats out there there's people that are just blatantly modeling someone else trying to achieve their success and um, i think that's a huge mistake because if they never present as them, I think it, it really shows. It, it does show. Eventually, it, it catches up with you. Um, there, there is no substitute for authenticity. It takes longer to present an authentic message, but the substance always speaks for itself. When we see someone who embodies their message, who's developed their craft, it's beautiful. It's attractive. They're an easy person to follow. They're an easy person to receive from. When we find someone who's needy and desperate and loud and brash and copying, you know, difficult to receive from that person and uh, the natural tendency is to be repelled from someone like that so i think it just kind of is very counterproductive to have that strategy if you're trying to bring a message to the world that you think is important well i'll um i'll second that one i i can get behind that and you know looping back to the start of this podcast is we can see and feel it like we can, we can tell, your audience yeah. can tell. The people yeah, who are watching you on social media or listening to your podcast, mm. they can tell and it's repelling and not mm. to mention uh, limiting your own success and where you can get to. Now, Jamin, I, I know you have a podcast of your own and I want to make sure that people can hear a little bit about that and where they can go to tune into the show if they found some of the topics useful here and maybe want to learn a little bit more. Sure. Uh, so it's The Insecurity Project. It's on iTunes or Spotify, or you can even find it on my website, uh, theinsecurityproject.com. Uh, and it's a mixture of interviews with people who've done the work around solving insecurity and what, what that's resulted in their life. I do some live coaching demonstrations, um, which is always interesting. You, you know, you can't help but try someone else's story on when, you, when you're a fly on the wall in those situations, which gives you some insights in your own story. And then I do 10 Minute Tuesday, which is a chance to deliver some content 
in a short, sharp form that's useful to people around solving this in their own life. Excellent. Now, for the listeners of this show, I definitely recommend checking out some of the 10-minute Tuesdays. And I want to preface this for a couple of reasons. One is I think they're immensely valuable. I really do. I think it's some great content you've put together there, Jamin. But two, you actually provide fantastic idea of how short content can be delivered well. So um, I think it's a really good thing to look at as a podcaster. If it's something you're looking to do shorter episodes, this is a fantastic demonstration of how it could be done well. So this is wrapping up our area here. Is there anything you wanted to add to the show, Jamin? Uh, just to pick up on that short piece, something that is always in my mind that's relevant to this conversation and the podcasting subject, uh, a lyric from a band called Switchfoot. The lyric is, if we're adding to the noise, please turn off this song. Uh, and I just think that I've got that in my mind every time I open my mouth, every time I press record, every time I go to deliver content. I think if I'm just adding to the noise, I, I would hope my listeners would just turn this off. Uh, there is so much noise out there. Um, but so, yeah, I'm going to say things that are, I think are meaningful and I'm going to, the moment I have nothing to say, I won't say anything. So to deliver something as short as possible as succinctly as possible without just adding to the noise. I think that's uh, a really important thing to do. And I think it comes from, you know, it comes from a secure place as well, well rather than a needy place. What a fantastic way to wrap up this episode. I'll make sure we have links to your podcast and website and book all in the show notes as well. And again, encourage people to tune in. And I think the advice of uh, respecting your audience and making sure you're not contributing to the noise, but making meaning with your content is where we will wrap this one up. So thank you so much for coming on the business of podcasting, Jamin. Yeah, my absolute pleasure, Charlie. Thanks for having me. That's it, guys. If you have enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the show and we'll be bringing you more episodes soon. 